Pastor Donald Gray Barnhouse ministered at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for 33 years. And uh, he just was a powerful preacher. And um, he was a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary. And so uh, Princeton invited Donald Barnhouse to their chapel service to speak. And as Barnhouse stood there behind the pulpit, he noticed right about in the second row his former preaching professor, a fellow by the name of uh, Wilson, Professor Robert Wilson, sitting right near the front. And so Barnhouse preached his sermon after chapel. Professor Wilson just kind of stuck around and he greeted Barnhouse. Barnhouse said, it's so good to see you after all these years. And Professor Wilson said, well, I came to hear you preach, having taught you. I came to hear you preach to find out if you're a big godder or a little godder. And Barnhouse said, I'm not really quite sure I follow. He said, well, when my students, when my students come back to preach, I want to hear them to see if they're a big godder or a little godder, because that's, that's the way I'm going to know how their ministry turns out. Professor Wilson said, some preachers have a little God, and they're always in trouble with him. He can't do any miracles. He doesn't intervene on behalf of his people. They have a little God, and I call them little godders. But then there are those who have a great God, a big God. When this God speaks, it is done. When this God commands, it stands fast. And this God knows how to show himself strong on behalf of those who fear him. That's what I mean. And then Professor Wilson paused and looked Barnhouse straight in the eye and said, you have a great big God. And He's going to bless your ministry. God bless you. And He walked away. And anybody who knows anything about Donald Gray Barnhouse knows that Professor Wilson was right. Barnhouse preached like a big God. I think I think Professor Wilson's question is for us. Are you a big godder or a little godder? So you see, we tend to move and live based on our mindset about God. When we imagine a little God, then, well, by default, we assume that He can only do little things. And someone once said, well, I'll tell you who it is. You'll see the picture here coming up. Christian by the name of Evelyn Underhill, she once said, a, a God small enough to be understood is not big enough to be worshipped. Hmm? So are you a little godder or a big godder? That's the question for today. It's also a question that we are considering as we are taking this journey through the book of Hebrews, this sermon manuscript 
preached 2,000 years ago to a church that was struggling. The preacher said, you have need of endurance. So keep believing and keep trusting. And Hebrews chapter 11 reminds the congregation that they worship a big God. And who He is and who they are in Him is how they are going to endure. Because the size of your God determines the stamina of your faith. See, some of us, just we just kind of have a San Diego God. No offense from anybody from San Diego. But, but I mean, I'm saying San Diego, you know, what's the weather going to be like? Uh, 75. What's the weather going to be like in October? Well, 75. What's the weather going to be like? It's just a San Diego God. See, And, and you know what? That's okay. But, man, winter comes and then spring comes. And then the thunderstorms come, and then the floods come, and then the drought comes, and then this comes, and that comes, and up and down. And can your God give you the stamina for that? Are you a bigger Godder or a little Godder? That's what I'm talking about. The size of your God determines the stamina of your faith. And so what's going on here in Hebrews is that the preacher is appealing to biblical ancestors, and specifically in Hebrews chapter 11, the Hebrew preacher says, look, I, I want to give you these names of our spiritual ancestors because they worshiped a big God, and their God is our God, and each of their stories is a story of faith. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the certainty of things unseen. So, so you can stand on the substance of faith, and then when you stand on the substance of faith, your confidence and your assurance in the living God is firm and secure. And so by faith, Abel worshipped the living God. By faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Noah worked on the ark at the word of the living God. And today, in our journey through Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to consider the life of Abraham. Because while Abel worshipped, and Enoch walked, and Noah worked, Abraham went out. And we're going to hear his story today. Now, I've got two passages of Scripture that I'd like for you to follow uh, me with the first is in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through, through 9. Genesis 12, 1 through 9. And then we're going to consider Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 is the commentary of Genesis 12, 1 through 9. So with that thought in mind, hear these words from the word in Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now this is the word of the Lord. So as we consider these verses here this morning, and as we consider uh, Hebrews' commentary on Genesis, what we just read, here's the big idea that's going to emerge, and I just want to front load this so you see where we're going here today. And it's this, it's, it, we were asking, answering the question, what is faith? Faith pursues the Word of God all the way to the city of God. That's what we're going to see. So, so faith is more than an agreement of your mind. It's an investment of your life. Faith moves forward at God's word. Faith pursues God's will. All the way. So faith goes the distance. So, so I'm here today to tell you that the God of the Bible is the one true God. And he exists. And he is the provider and supplier and rewarder of every good and perfect gift. God has the goods. And this God is both an architect and builder, which is to say he is the consummate city planner. And, and his urban product stands the test of eternity. And if we will persevere in our trust in Him, if we will persevere in believing that He exists, 
If we will persevere in reliance upon him, if we will trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding in all our ways acknowledge him, he will direct our paths. He will. He's the way maker. If we fix our identity in him, if we anchor our hope in him, then he will bless us in the here and now so that, so that, we will be a blessing to others. That's, that's what we're reading here. My, my goodness, church family, what if because of our lives, our neighborhoods were safer? Our lives right here. The lives that make up those of us here in this room that constitute the congregation called Windsor Road Christian Church. What if because of our lives, our, our, our neighborhoods were safer? Our office and classroom environments were sweeter. What if because of our presence and our integrity and our joy and our work ethic and our spiritual and emotional maturity, what if because of these things, others in our lives, yes, even unbelievers, what if, what if their lives improved because of our lives' presence? What if their lives improved because of our lives' presence? See, that's the vision of this passage here today. That, that's the vision of a big godder. Are you a big godder or a little godder? Well, Abraham is a case study of, of someone who trusted a big God. Faith in a big faith that receives and distributes the blessing of God. Now, now, I'm going to let Hebrews 11 be the outline for Genesis chapter 12. And here's what that's going to look like. In Hebrews 11 verse 8, the preacher tells the congregation what faith leaves. What faith leaves, okay? And then, and then in Hebrews 11 verse 9, the preacher tells the congregation how faith lives. How faith lives. And then, and then in, in verse 10 the preacher tells a congregation what faith longs for, what faith leaves, how faith lives, and who faith longs for. So that's where we're going here this morning. Let's get to work. What faith leaves. Faith leaves the city of man for the city of God. Uh, now, I want you to, I, I, I have to get this off my chest here. So it's easy to make assumptions about biblical characters. Uh, so, for instance, like for Abraham, it would be easy to assume that, you know, he was this likable guy in Ur, and so God saw this likable guy with a likable character and a likable heart and, and said, you know, I just think I, I'm going to be good to Abraham, he's been good to me, and then the lesson would be, well, if you just be good, then God will be good to you because God will pay attention to you and show you what to do next to to have a happy life because that's the point of your life is to just have a happy life, and that's sarcasm, uh, but... <laughs> And, and, and that's not where we're going here today. That's not, be, because let me tell you about Abraham's life. Abraham's, Abraham, Abraham was a pagan. Okay? Abraham's homeland was the ancient city of Ur. Ur of the Chaldees. Technically, historians call it the third dynasty of Ur. The third dynasty of Ur. About 2,000 years uh, before Christ. It's, it's ancient Babylonia. Uh, you, you can find, you can actually find the ancient city of Ur if you go to modern day Iraq. And Ur of Chaldees 
was a world-class city. It was. Ur gave the world the science of astronomy, the, si the science of studying the motions of heavenly bodies. They, uh, you can see a, a, one of the um, tablets uh, that just describes a little bit about uh, the science of astronomy and the tools that were used. But you need to understand that the science of studying motions of heavenly bodies in that day were for the purpose of determining divine will. So, so astronomy in that day was for the purpose of astrology. They studied the stars because that's how they believed that the gods communicated. Uh, the city of Ur was magnificent, magnificent city. So the city of Ur, its, it's, it's um, territory was four square miles. Four square miles. I mean, think about that walled fortification. That's huge. Had a population of over 300,000. It had irrigated fields and orchards and gardens. Twice in history, it's called the capital of the world. And archaeological discoveries have surfaced thousands thousands of clay tablets uh, with writing on every imaginable aspect of life. That's actually a clay tablet from the Spurlock Museum uh, on uh, the campus of the University of Illinois. And these topics included writing about family, government, religion, commerce, mathematics, uh, uh, agriculture, Medicine, medicine. In ancient Ur, a form of aspirin was invented in, in, in that territory. Ur was the center of moon god worship. If you go to Iraq today, you can see the remains of uh, the ancient temple of the moon god Nana. The moon god Nana had a wife named Saratu. Saratu. Name means queen or princess possibly connected with Abram's wife, Sarai, or Sarah. Abram and Sarah were pagans. And Genesis 12, 11 says that Sarah was beautiful in appearance. She had, she had no children, which was awkward for 75-year-old Abram, whose name means exalted father. And Genesis chapter 11, verse 30 overstates intentionally her childlessness. It says, it says that she was barren. And then if that's not clear enough, in Genesis 11.30, the text adds, she had no child. So that's Abraham's life. His family's wealth was in livestock and precious metals. Gen Genesis 13.2 says that Abram was rich in livestock and silver and gold. He'd lived in Ur for 75 years. As far as he knew, he would die there. He had no reason to leave. He had all the amenities he could ever want, except he just didn't have any heirs. Joshua 24.2, Joshua 24.2 says that Abraham's family served other gods. He was a pagan. He was an idol worshiper. Until God disrupted his life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Acts chapter 7 says that the glory of God appeared to Abram. I can only imagine what that must have been like. Yahweh, 
who in Genesis 1-3 spoke creation into being. This God, the one and only, spoke to Abraham. And the text tells us in Genesis chapter 12 that he gave two commands. Leave and be a blessing. And these commands were linked. So in other words, to be a blessing, Abram had to leave, right? So if I say go outside and get some fresh air, well, to do, you know, the second, you've got to do the first. In order to be a blessing, he was going to have to leave, leave. And Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says that when you leave, three outcomes will occur. I will make you into a great nation, outcome number one. Outcome number two, I will bless those who bless you. And, and then, excuse me, I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great, and then I will bless you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll make your name great, and then I will bless you. That's command number one. And, and then you'll be a blessing. And when you're a blessing, three more outcomes will occur. All right? And those outcomes are, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who dishonor you, and then in you or by you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, all of them. So, so, so God has some global, uh, God has a global vision through Abram. One God, two commands, three outcomes. I want you to leave. I want you to be a blessing. So, so don't you see the word of God converted the father of the Hebrew people. Abraham had once believed in, in many little gods. He was a little godder, but radically he was transformed by the one big true creator God. Abraham, the moon is no deity. The moon is no deity. The moon is part of the created world. The creator God Yahweh, I am who I am. Spoke, go, be a blessing. Go and be a blessing. And, and again, I'll, I'll just go back to what I said earlier. You know, Abraham was just doing life in Ur. He wasn't struggling with his identity. He, the text doesn't give us any indication that he had a midlife crisis. What's my purpose in life? What's my meaning? God, I just want to do your will. What do you want me to do? There's no evidence. There's no evidence that, 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 that Abraham felt the angst of this God-sized hole in his heart and was wondering how it can be filled. He's just doing life as a well-heeled citizen of a world-class city. He's working and running the family business and making money and depositing money. And he goes to the temple to pay homage to Nana. Uh, other than that, other having no children he's he's pretty flush and in the middle of that the one true god disrupts his life he disrupts his life with truth and the big god does not invite abraham to join him on a spiritual expedition rather yahweh issues a command leave it's not a request. Leave, leave your land. That was hard. Leave your kindred. It's even harder. Leave your father's house. That's nearly impossible. Land, 
birthplace, father's house. These have been Abram's very identity. I mean, he is Abram ben Terah, son of Terah. His father's house is his house. His father's goods are his goods. His father's gods are his gods. Severing one's ancestral ties in that day was just, just unthinkable, and yet that's what the Lord commanded Abram to do. Leave to the land I will show you. I will show you. Hebrews eleven eight says that he did not know where he was going. Can't you hear Abraham thinking, well, how will I know when I get there? And the Lord said, I'll let you know. And yet the Bible says that Abram obeyed and went. And beloved, that's faith. Faith Faith is leaving Ur and moving forward to an unseen future at the word of the Lord God. And, and so, lest we think that this is just a Bible history lecture, let me remind you that Hebrews 11 was a sermon first preached to Christians who had left the ways of the world. And now they're paying for it in persecution. And they're wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Should we, should we go back to Ur? And God says through his preacher of the gospel, not a chance. You stay the course. You stay the course. You have need of endurance. You, you're not, we're not shrinking back. We're moving forward in faith. Is, is that not a good word for us? For God's purpose, listen to me, listen to me. You know this, let me remind us of this. For God's purposes to be fulfilled in and through our lives, we have to leave the world's ways. We have to. God says, I have bigger plans than your career success. I have bigger plans than your retirement. I have bigger plans than your business succession. I want to bless all of the nations on earth, and I aim to use you as a channel of my blessing. But in order for that to happen, you've got to get out of Ur. You've got to. Because, listen to me. Ur is not just a geographical location. Ur is a worldview. Ur is a mindset, a man-centered mindset. It's a self-absorbed state of thinking. The, the motto of Ur is, the world orbits around me. You know, Ur was not far from Babel, right? You remember what happened in Babel, don't you? Just... Before you get to Genesis 12, you get to Genesis 11. And, and there was this project that these citizens of the city of Babel wanted. And they said, come, 11.4, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make, so, let, so that's Babel, right? Ur, Ur and Babel are, I mean, they're kissing cousins here. And there they are. They're, they're, they, 
So the, the message of Babel is let us build for ourselves a city and let us make a name for ourselves. Huh? Let us make a name for ourselves. And you know, from a worldly stand, from a, from a man-centered, from, from the ground, you might see that tower and be so totally amazed, right? Oh, wow, how magnificent the towers of man are. But then you, then, then, then you have to see it from heaven's perspective. And, and, and so in, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 5, this is, this is so good. This is so good. I'll, let me show it to you this way. It says in 11.5 that the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now the Lord, so the Lord, so this great, magnificent, beautiful, from, from, from worldly perspective, from man's perspective, this incredible, incredible tower to the sky, verse four, we're gonna build this and make a name for ourselves. Wow, wow, wow. From heaven's standpoint, it says that the Lord has to come down. Here's what that means in the Hebrew. Oh, oh, I see it. Oh. Hey, Gabriel, angels, come down here and take a look at this. Yeah, yeah, well, all right, whatever. <laughs> you get it? See, yeah, you'll never look at that verse again differently. <laughs> you never, right? See, listen to me, yeah. What are we asking of our cities on earth that they were never designed to give? God calls us to leave Ur because that's the only way we can be a blessing to the world. God does not ask us to be a blessing to the world in the ways of the world. And he will not take us to his city and the fulfillment of his promises that he has for us until we are willing to leave what we know. I like how Tony Evans puts it. Tony Evans says we can't stay around paganism and still have God. We can't hang out with humanism and consumerism and still have God. If we are to live to the full realization of our divine reality, we have to trust that God knows where he's taking us, even though we, he doesn't always tell us where that is. And far too many times we approach God like this. God, show me the plan where you're taking me. I'll look it over and then let you know my thoughts. But that's walking by sight. And if you have sight, that's not faith at all. And, and so God's not going to give you the entire picture. He's not. He's going to, because he wants us to trust him day by day, step by step. He told Abraham to trust him all the way because he's a big God, that's why. And Abraham had to leave the little gods and little deities that encircled him in Ur before he could experience the bigness that God had for him. And we're to do no less. Church family, Yahweh means I am who I am, not I am whoever you want me to be. And biblical faith will never ask you to live in denial of reality. 
Biblical faith is so in awe of the grand and glorious reality of God that it's able to look at the little dark realities of this life and not be afraid. Biblical faith is faith in the bigness of the God who can carry you. All of Abram's former gods, Abraham had to lug them around. God doesn't need you to lug him around. He lugs you around, and he doesn't lug. He carries. I will carry you. Trust me. And Abraham did. And so Genesis 12 tells us that he went by faith. He severed his ties from Ur. He packed up. He moved. He went to Canaan. And when he arrives, the Lord appears. We're here. We're here. I'm going, to give this, I'm going to give this land to you. Genesis 12, 6 and 7. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So, so, and, and you may have observed, of course, what Abram observed. Uh, there's somebody else already here, Lord. There's already cities here. There's, there's people here. God says, don't worry about that. This is yours. A nation will come from your body, and that nation will occupy this land. And as a result, all nations will be blessed. And, and so what happened in Genesis 12, 6 through 9, is that Abraham walks the entire country from north to south. Goes to, goes to Shechem, it's in, near the northern area. And then after he goes to Shechem, he goes to the hill country near Bethel. And then he goes south in, in the Negev. And the scripture says, and I love these two phrases, here, here, here. He pitched his tents and he built his altars. He pitched his tents. He pitched his tents. So Abram didn't buy a condo in Jericho and started acquiring property. See, that, that, that's not how it's going to work. The only, you know, the only property that Abraham actually owned in Canaan was a field with trees and a cave called Machpelah, and that's where he buried his wife, Sarah. So the only property he owned was a gravesite. And so, so that he pitched his tent means he was not anchored to this world even when the land was promised to him by God. His tent pegs were loose. His tent pegs were loose. Are your tent pegs loose? See? It, it, you know, it's a dangerous thing when we start feeling permanently settled to this world. Have we stepped out in obedience of God's call of us? Are we, living, are we living in such a way that there is discomfort of dissonance? The discomfort of dissonance. <laughs> Abraham, he was in this land, but he just kind of felt you know, uh, the sense of unease, dissonance. So I mean, he worshipped one God. The Canaanites worshipped idols. Abram's morality was fixed in the character of God. Their morality came from the gods that they created, meaning their morality came from themselves. Abram's worldview constantly collided with the Canaanites. He was always living with this conscious dissonance. 
And so faith calls us to live in a life of dissonance with the unbelieving world. A life of faith is not anti-cultural, but counter-cultural. And a vibrant faith will always feel this sense of dis-ease, a pervasive in-between us, kind of a sense of being a camper. And this doesn't mean that Abram cloistered himself from the culture. To the contrary, he was deeply involved. And yet, the scripture says, he was a foreigner, a stranger. He pitched his tents. He pitched his tent, but he built an altar. That is to say, when Abraham heard that the land that God would give him was his, he built an altar to Yahweh. And that's worship. So, so Abram's stuff is temporary, but worship endures. And, 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 and why the strategic locations of Shechem, Bethel, and Hebron? Because that's where the key Canaanite shrines were. You see what he's doing? He's building altars to the one big true God. He's pulling up stakes, and then he's moving the tent further south. He's building another altar, and then another. Abraham never builds altars outside the land of promise, only inside the land of promise. And he sees the Canaanites worshiping their puny false gods at their sacred shrines, and within sight of these shrines, he builds an altar of worship to the one big true God. Abraham is claiming that land for the Lord. He's raising the Lord's flag of ownership. This is God's country. This is where Lord is king. And I love how uh, a pastor of years ago, uh, Pastor John Calvin wrote, this is what he said about, about this passage. Abraham dedicated every part of the land to God. And, and then he says this, I love this. Abraham perfumed the land with the fragrance of his faith. Hmm. Now, can you connect the dots here with what the preacher's trying to say to this weary congregation? Your faith is meant to be the fragrant Febreze in your city. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you enter a room, that room needs to get refreshed by your presence. When you, when you walk into a room, tomorrow morning you're going to walk into some room. And as a result of your being there, that room needs to start smelling more and more like heaven. Why? Because the Holy Spirit that inhabits your life has also entered that room, you see. And as a church body, as a congregation... When we gather and worship and hear the preaching and teaching of the gospel and when we love God and love people and when we visit the sick and serve the needy and feed the hungry and when we, when we do missions trips locally and globally, those selfless deeds of love spread the fragrant aroma of faith in Christ. The faith that leaves is the faith that lives because it's a faith that longs for Christ. Christ, the architect and builder of the city. Abram was longing for a city whose architect and builder is God. Builder, builder. Oh, that's a beautiful word because it means that God himself does the work. He doesn't sub it out. He does it with his own hands. And Canaan was only the start. It was only the start. Remember D-Day at Normandy Beach in World War II? 
Canaan was the beachhead from which the kingdom of God would spread throughout the world. And Abram was the first to build altars. And later God would command Solomon to build a, a temple in, in the capital city of Jerusalem. And then in the New Testament, in Jesus' day, he came preaching as the temple of the living God. Jesus said the kingdom has come near. The kingdom has come near because the king is near. And Jesus showed the kingdom's reality by speaking truth, feeding the hungry, doing miraculous signs and wonders, healing the sick and raising the dead. And his mission was to establish a beachhead on earth for the kingdom of God. And that beachhead is one of justice and peace and righteousness and love and truth. And then in his death, burial and resurrection and the sending of his Holy Spirit, Jesus mandates his disciples, I want you to go. Just as God told Abram to go, Jesus tells. And I want you to make disciples of all nations. And I want you to be a blessing. It is our mission as a church to be a blessing wherever we go, church family. Because Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4 say that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And God's called us to bless this world. And just as God gave Abram this difficult assignment, leave your country and your father's house, Jesus tells that to every one of us in Matthew 10, 37 to 39. He says, without blinking, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If you want to find your life, Jesus says, you must lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Who says that? Jesus says that. He's the king. And he's not asking. He's commanding. But first we must leave Ur. We must lose Ur's life and identity and self-interest and instead trust God. We must pitch our tents and build our altars of worship. We must pursue the big God all the way to the city of God. Hmm. Well, I'm not done, but I'm going to quit. <laughs> but before I sit down, let me tell you about Henry C. Morrison. Henry C. Morrison. He was a missionary. He served in Africa over 40 years. On his way back to the United States, his, his uh, uh, ocean cruiser was going was gonna to dock there in New York City. Huh. And Morrison began to wonder, I wonder if anybody will remember us. Well, unknown to Henry Morrison and his wife, President Teddy Roosevelt was also on board that ship. Roosevelt had gone to Africa for, uh, for hunting. And when the ship pulled up into New York Harbor, he looked to see if anybody had come to welcome them back home. And, and Morrison saw thousands of people cheering and bands were playing. And there were signs and banners and billboards everywhere. He said, welcome home. And Henry was so excited. And then he saw Teddy got off. And then when he got off, they'd all gone. Well, it kind of hurt his heart. 
they go to that hotel room after that long trip. He sat on the bed. He was just so dejected. He said to his wife, honey, I don't get it. I mean, for 40 years, we poured our lives into ministry and service. Yet we come back to America, and not a single soul, not a single soul shows up to welcome us home. And we preachers make it because of our wives. And Henry's wife came and sat down next to him and comforted him with words that he would never forget. Henry, I think you have forgotten something. We're not home yet. Heavenly Father.